from the EAH team. Welcome to Everything About Hydrogen. This is the podcast that explores the world of hydrogen and its derivative technologies and interrogates how it is changing the world of energy as we know it. Join hosts Patrick Malloy, manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Alicia Eastman, President of Intercontinental Energy, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, as the team speak to some of the most innovative and exciting players in the industry. If you're a fan of the show, we would love if you'd leave us a five-star review for everything about hydrogen wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help boost us up the charts and help more people find us. And with that, I'll leave it to the team and let's get on with the show. Well, hey, Alicia. It's been a little bit of a while. How are you doing? What have you been up to since we last caught up? Have you uh, completely replaced me with Patrick or uh, are still allowed to squeak in here and there? Uh, actually, that's an interesting thing that I've seen Patrick more recently than you. We need to get together more. <laughs> Apparently, you and Patrick were in Rotterdam. I heard there was 11,000 people, my colleague told me there last time. Yeah. Sounds enormous. Yeah, more than that. Actually, this conference, um, I'm on the advisory board of it, is basically the uh, Sustainable Energy Council. And now it's called World Hydrogen 2023. We just keep making it better and better. And last year, we expected 2,000 people. We got 6,000. And this year, we had 12,000 people and a lot more delegations from different countries and whatnot. So it was um, really, really busy. There were a ton of people there. And I think that this will be the event of the year because everyone is coming to it uh, for hydrogen. And then we might maybe lose some of these events that are just, you know, talking about hydrogen, but don't have any more particular focus or depth because we can't keep up this pace of one hydrogen conference a day. So, you know, obviously they're going to have to winnow down at some point, but I think this is definitely one that's going to stick around. And the, uh, the CEO of the Port of Rotterdam, Alarta um, Castellan, he is a real visionary who sort of thought of this four years ago. So the first one was four years ago. And he's, you know, been really at the front of the pack with having his port, bringing in um, a bunch of different hydrogen-based fuels, different green fuels. So it's it's great to have him as sort of the head of this this board for the conference. I mean, right now we there's a lot of information and a lot of support for ammonia. It seems like people are starting to realize that there's only so much uh, biogenic CO2 and uh, aviation takes like, you know, 15 years to build a plane. And so, you know, if the shipping can build a new vessel in a year and a half, maybe they shouldn't take the biogenic CO2 because, you know, the aircraft, like long distance aircraft, E-kerosene is pretty much their only option after biofuels, which which tap out early. You know, there's been a realization that whatever it is, whatever the solution is, it's not enough for the whole world and all the use cases. So we have to sort of decide who should use what, um, because otherwise we just won't have enough. It is incredible the size of it. And I was chatting to someone the other day who said they were at a Canadian conference in um, Alberta, and that was seven and a half thousand people, which just blew my mind. Um, It does reaffirm to me an adage that someone said to me the other day. They said, you know, the two most profitable businesses to be working in the hydrogen space today are conference organizers and consulting. Um, So (laughs) hopefully we can change that soon. But um, it did, did make me laugh. Yes, we're a little bit more long term, I guess. But uh, yeah, one thing that was really interesting or exciting is that the Minister for Climate Change and Energy, Chris Bowen, announced the Hydrogen Head Start program in Australia. And that is uh, Australian 2 billion targeting first movers to accelerate uh, the production of green fuels. And so they'll provide revenue support for large-scale green hydrogen projects through a competitive hydrogen production contract, focusing on two to three flagship projects. So I'm hoping that since we were there first, (laughs) we might be able to benefit from this. And in general, it's just wonderful that Australia has moved from a country that almost didn't go to COP at Glasgow to a country that is really, really focusing on green hydrogen, green fuels, just trying to make it easier for everyone, pitching in on infrastructure, putting it into the budget. So that budget is for 2023. They're really dedicated to it. And they had a big showing in Rotterdam. 
So that was good to see. I think Ira has really just kicked off a lot of competition around the world. And uh, that's going to be helpful to get projects going. Yeah, definitely the Inflation Reduction Act, I think, is, has galvanized people. Unfortunately, the UK government is so lethargic or just grossly incompetent. I'm not sure we're going to see much movement either way. I think people are sort of despairing a little bit when it comes to the UK government. But definitely Europe, I think we've seen that. I think Australia, you've talked about. I think clearly China and others are looking at how they respond. So I, I think I think there is definitely a sense and a sentiment that people are going, whether it's green hydrogen battery, carbon capture, um, nuclear you know, you can't afford to sit on the fence. This is kind of in some ways, especially with green hydrogen, a little bit of a last chance saloon, I think, for Europe and the US if they want to seriously be players in the space to go, right, what are we doing to invest? And uh, I was speaking to a couple of big multinationals recently who go, the IRA is a complete game changer or IRA is a complete game changer for serious investment in the US. And definitely, I think if you're a European or UK business or frankly, anywhere in the world right now thinking about batteries, fuel cells or green hydrogen, if you're not thinking about the US, you probably have someone on your board asking you why or why not um so but yeah i'm sure we'll get into that and actually probably our guest i don't think we're going to cover it with him sadly today but our guest uh, jürgen goldner who's joining us from bmw is an interesting person to speak to because for those who aren't aware bmw obviously is you know a very successful car brand with a number of battery electric products that are very popular but recently made a very high profile thing about going into the hydrogen space so a little bit spoiled that we've got Jürgen, who's the general program manager for hydrogen technology, and uh, you know, it'd be good to kind of get his perspective. I just wondered, Lizzie, have you ever driven any of these BMW iX5s, even the petrol versions, first before we get him to talk about the hydrogen one? Well, I actually owned one of the first X5s. I did. I broke the cardinal rule of car buying. Yeah, I bought uh, the X5 the year it came out, and obviously, the first year anything comes out. There's always weird quirks and problems and oddities. So, but otherwise, I loved it. It was a great car. It drives like a sports car, and, but it has a lot of room. But it doesn't take up a ton of room. You know, it's like a Mack truck inside, but outside it parks easily. <laughs> well, I, I can say I, uh, I had the privilege with uh, Jürgen of actually driving the iX5 around um, Antwerp when they did their launch event um, with a number of other individuals who were given the chance to come and see it. So, uh, and I have to say, I think I drove probably about a hundred, 150 miles with that. And that was really, that was really good fun. So uh, at least from what yeah. I saw, it was pretty decent. I know our partners, um, one of Proteum's partners, a company called Fuel Cell Systems was helping to do uh, refueling for testing of the BMW in Northern Sweden for several years before the release. So I know that they did test it in minus 10, minus 15, minus 20. Well, they're, and they're testing in deserts and other places too. So I know a few people who are testing, um, you know, in the Middle East. And I, obviously I think, you know, when it's hydrogen, it's not just another car. <laughs> it's not just a new, another model. So they probably will do some extensive testing. Well, why don't we get him on and see what he says? Sounds good. So we're delighted today to have on the Everything About Hydrogen podcast, Jürgen Goldner, who is the General Program Manager for Hydrogen Technologies at BMW Group. Jürgen, great to see you. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, I'm very excited to be here today to talk to you about our brand new BMW iX5 Hydrogen and what we're doing in this field. And of course, I've had the pleasure of seeing a car up close, but um, Alicia and Patrick haven't. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they'll have a load of questions for you. But maybe before we dive into the questions, Jürgen, you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are and um, what your role is within BMW. My name is uh, Jürgen Goldner. I've been with the company for over 20 years by now. And for the last five years, I've been working on the hydrogen project. To be honest, it's uh, really the most exciting project that I've been working on in my career at BMW because it's so much more than just a car. It's uh, in the middle of the energy transition. Um, I'm meeting so many exciting people and I'm very excited to be here today. And um, so maybe just to kick us off then, can you tell us a little bit about the sort of uh, this fuel cell electric vehicle itself? So, you know, I guess for those, uh, you know, I can't see their petrol heads, but can you tell sort of the keen car enthusiasts a little bit about the vehicle specs, um, you know, a little bit of details about it and and maybe a little bit about how the program itself for the vehicle evolved. Um, you know, what was the history of the program? Maybe talk us just through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you've had the opportunity to drive the car and uh, I'm excited to hear about your feedback, but it is the most uh, powerful fuel cell hydrogen car that there is in the passenger vehicle field. We spent the last four years developing it 
And just to give you a few numbers, to give you an idea, it has a total of 400 horsepower or 295 kilowatts of electrical power. It's combined with a fuel cell system that delivers 125 kilowatts um, continuously, which basically is the uh, energy provided from the hydrogen. Plus, we have a very high power battery as a buffer, which adds another 170 kilowatts as a boost and also for brake energy recuperation when we are braking. This means we have the full BMW driving pleasure with a fuel cell car, has great acceleration, has a silent ride, as we know from electric cars, and zero emission, of course. It basically combines, for you petrol heads there, it combines the benefits of electric driving with the possibility to refuel the car very fast in two, three, four minutes, and then be on the road again, which is really the best of both worlds. We do have uh, two hydrogen tanks, which gives us 500 kilometers or 300 miles in the normal cycle range. And um, that is basically our pilot fleet that we're developing or that we developed and are showcasing now to the world. And maybe just before my colleagues come in, because uh, I know they've got another one, just as a follow-up, you know, is this building off an existing battery electric model that BMW have, or is this completely brand new, just for those who are less familiar with the BMW um, brand and product offering? Um, this uh, fuel cell powertrain was actually integrated into the normal standard X5 vehicle, which is a combustion engine vehicle as such. For the future, we're thinking of having a joint architecture between battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles, because there's so much in common there. We do use a lot of things that we learned from our electric vehicles in this project already. For example, the electric motor that we have in the fuel cell iX5 hydrogen is the same electric motor that we're using on our other electric vehicles like the iX or the i7. Well, for the, um, I guess, non-petrol heads, the, the hydrogen uh, enthusiasts that don't know very much about mobility, it would be interesting to understand why you decided to develop an FCEV. And for those uh, that don't follow mob- mobility too much, that's the um, fuel cell electric vehicle, uh, which runs with uh, hydrogen, alongside a BEV, which is the battery electric vehicle, which runs with electricity and battery course um that's for our listeners not for you um (laughs) but uh why um why did you decide to develop both um do you have a key target market in mind for uh, for either what 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 is the rationale for us at bmw the energy transition really is a long walk it's a long endeavor and we decided to stand on two legs and to walk on two legs in this endeavor because have you ever tried standing on one leg for a long time? It doesn't work. Hydrogen and fuel cell technology for us will be the second technology for the energy transition, the zero emission technology that will revolutionize the way we have individual mobility on the roads today. And we really don't see it as a competition between the two technologies. A fuel cell car is an electric car. It just has a different energy storage. And BMW has brought great battery electric cars to the market. They're very, very popular with our customers, and we're very happy about that. But in the long run, we want to offer the perfect zero emission mobility solution to each and every customer. And what we do see and get feedback from some of our customers is that they would like to have a zero emission vehicle, but the battery electric car might not be the best choice for them. And that is in different regions of the world where hydrogen is uh, developing very, very fast. That's in Europe, that's in Asia, countries like Japan, Korea, China. Also, um, the US is uh, getting engaged again, especially California, and also the Middle East. And, and uh, just you know, to, to mention a few customer use cases where a hydrogen car could actually be the better solution for the individual customer, um, we're addressing those customers who maybe don't have electric charging at home and would have to charge their electric vehicle publicly or charging stations all the time, which could become cumbersome. We're talking about people who are traveling a lot, who are on the road a lot, who just need the flexibility, who tell us, you know, we can't plan our life around the electric socket, the electric charging. Um, Even if we get electric charging down to 20, 30 minutes, they're saying, no, I want to do it like today, go to a gas station, gas up and and be ready and, and go again. And then Uh, Cold conditions are also a concern for battery electric cars. 
as you know, we lose 15-20% of the range in winter with battery electric cars um, and fuel cell cars. It's the same range in winter as in, as in summer. And uh, last but not least, uh, maybe a special use case, and that's trailering, because here, you know, you use a lot more energy, so you have to recharge or refuel much more often. And that could, with a battery electric car, become cumbersome when you're traveling, just because the way that the charging stations are built. So there are a lot of use cases for hydrogen vehicles in a combination with the battery electric vehicles, which, as BMW, we've been developing for quite some time, and we have great vehicles out there on the market already. Thank you. That, that actually explains quite a lot. So Jürgen, following on maybe a little bit from that, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the role you see for hydrogen in the energy transition and, and maybe a little bit you know, beyond that about you know, what BMW is actually doing to support the, the development of the market? Yes, of course. Uh, for us, the future is electric. Electricity from renewable sources will be the backbone of our energy system in the future. But again, here, is one technology really enough? For us, the answer is no, because renewables are produced when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing, and not necessarily when we need the energy, when we need the electricity. And the best places to produce renewable energy are not necessarily the metropolitan industrial centers where a lot of energy is consumed. So for the energy transition to be successful, we need a way to store energy over long periods of time, kind of save the sun from the summer for the winter. And also we need to transport energy over long distances, especially from the areas where there's a lot of wind up north, Scotland, Norway, and so on, down to the center of Europe or the sun from southern Spain, southern Italy, or northern Africa into central Europe. And electrons, electricity, simply can't do that. Molecules are suited better for that. And hydrogen kind of is the missing piece of the puzzle of the energy transition here, because hydrogen as a gas can be transported over long distances, can be stored over longer periods of time. And the nice thing is we can actually reuse the existing infrastructure that exists for natural gas today and recommission it, so to speak, to use it with hydrogen and transport energy in the existing infrastructure, which enables us then to decarbonize all the industries that actually cannot be electrified in the first place and to have hydrogen worldwide available for industry, for transport, and other applications. And we do see a lot of projects worldwide um, coming up to produce hydrogen, to transport it in the existing infrastructure, and also a lot of applications. And we are very excited about that because we've been you know, working on this for quite some time. We've been members of uh, several international associations, like we've been a founding member of the Hydrogen Council, for example. I'm personally active in Hydrogen Europe, the German Hydrogen Association. And we see this hydrogen economy for decarbonous hydrogen developing all over the world as part of the energy transition. And we really want to be part of that because for us, it's not just the product that we want to decarbonize. We also want to decarbonize our own production which uh, also means that we're looking at the use of hydrogen in our plants and also in our own logistics where we're transporting you know, the components that are put into the cars, into our factories over um, various distances from our suppliers to our own plants. And our logistics colleagues are looking for hydrogen vehicles, hydrogen trucks for those applications as well. So for us, it isn't just more like uh, more than just like the car. So you spoke a little bit about how BMW is supporting the development of the broader hydrogen market, and you spoke about your work with the various trade associations. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the specific partners that BMW you are working with on the vehicle itself, you know, you know, the actual people that are helping you support the development of the iX5, and then, I guess, more broadly, the ecosystem around that that you need to bring that product to market. We've been uh, collaborating very successfully with Toyota for 10 years now, and we are two big players in this field, and we both bring in a lot of expertise to this. In addition to that, we've been working with academia, with suppliers, and many, many other partners in research projects that actually led to development of our BMW iX5 hydrogen vehicle at the end. We're also working with infrastructure providers, and we're really supporting the buildup of a refueling station network in all the hydrogen regions of the world which is very important. And we see the, the time for the infrastructure really coming out now because 
it's the synergy between all vehicles on the road that will actually make it happen and finally solve the so-called chicken and egg problem that is is talked about so much in this field. Because the commercial vehicles, the trucks, the buses, they will need hydrogen along the highways. They will need hydrogen along the urban nodes and the path infrastructure development that's coming up. And this is really a holistic approach. This is really a general economic thing that's uh, developing and we're really proud to be part of this. And maybe just the second part, and you, you know, you spoke about these brilliant partners. I guess the second part of the question was how should other potential partners, you know, how should other organizations in this field engage with um with BMW, right? I'm sure there's a lot of businesses out there that would love to help support what you do. How are you encouraging people to think about collaboration or supporting your ambitions? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people um, approaching us already. And as I mentioned, we're already working with a lot of suppliers. We're also working with startups who have good ideas to improve the technology as such. And we have a lot of discussions, um, both with the infrastructure providers, with the producers of hydrogen, um, with the uh, uh, transmission network and so on, to uh, be able to coordinate the buildup of the hydrogen economy in a sustainable manner. Because at the end of the day, um, the energy transition has to lead to a new ecosystem, a new economy where everybody has its its place and everybody can, you know, at the end of the day, make a living from um, the products we sell. And um, in the beginning, it's, it's always hard and you have to collaborate and you have to come together and do joint projects and so on. So we're very open to that. Um, obviously, we're doing a lot of activity already and uh, that's progressing very, very well. So what is your timeline or vehicle rollout uh, roadmap like? Um, are there any other vehicles or designs that you have in mind? Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the future? Did you know that our first prototype of a battery electric vehicle was in 1972 at the Munich Olympics? It took 50 years until the time really was right for the first production model, the i3, that came out in, in 2013. And in the beginning, before we put out the i3 battery electric vehicle, we had a pilot fleet. It was called the Mini E in 2008. And there we learned a lot of how those vehicles are treated or by customers, how battery electric vehicles work in the field. And the rollout of battery electric vehicles then has stretched in the last 10 years and is now accelerating very fast. And with Hydrogen is the same story. We've started very early developing hydrogen technology. We have a lot of experience. One of the big projects that we had before was the Hydrogen 7, which was a combustion engine and liquid hydrogen. We learned from that that the combustion engine doesn't have the sufficient efficiency to uh, be sustainable in a passenger vehicle, so we switched to fuel cell. We also learned that liquid hydrogen is uh, not really sustainable in a passenger vehicle. And that's why we switched to compressed hydrogen that stays in the tanks. And you know you don't lose anything when you park the car for several weeks on end. So why did I tell you all this story? Our vehicles now are a pilot fleet. And with this pilot fleet, we want to learn as much as possible for a possible mass production introduction of, of a vehicle by the end of this decade. Um, we will bring these vehicles to several locations worldwide, test them, get feedback also from the public, from the politicians, from the media, and then the future will tell what comes next. Our strategy really is to be flexible, to be open to all technological options, and to be able to react to customer demand quickly. And this, uh, I would call it the BMW way, has been very successful so far, and we intend to continue it with the hydrogen powertrain by preparing for a mass production, and then we'll see what the rollout might be in the 30s. It's a long-term endeavor. I don't mean to pull a Chris, but um, does that mean that we <laughs> can't actually uh, purchase this car until like 2030? Is that, uh, as a consumer who who agrees with a lot of your reasoning, <laughs> is there, <laughs> when would be the soonest that um, I would be able to produce a, a car like this? And could it be in racing green, please? <laughs> <laughs> the most important question, yes, of course. <laughs> yes, um, we haven't announced a um, production date yet. Um, we think it will be in the second half of this decade. Uh, so probably before 2030. And um, we're working towards that. We're gathering a lot of experience with the cars that we have right now. 
um, also in the development cycle, um, it takes some time. And we also think that this will be the right time to bring a product to the market because by then we will see the infrastructure on the roads being there, that the production of hydrogen being ramped up in a sustainable way, um, which then would allow us to bring a car to the market. And then you can purchase one and yes, we'll paint one green for you. And potentially made with green steel as well. <laughs> We're actually working on green steel. We actually have uh, green steel suppliers as a company already. Yeah. So yes, that is, is not uh, something for the future. That's something of uh, today already. Excellent. My, my whole checklist. <laughs> a hydrogen-powered car built by hydrogen-created steel, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Patrick, yeah, green steel production is, high, is hydrogen, yeah. So, so Jürgen, maybe maybe to, to round this out, given given that you've made the, the terrible mistake of letting Chris Jackson uh, into your car early in this uh, testing cycle, when when where can people maybe see or or give this a, a try over the next uh, next six months or year? Well, these vehicles are actually deployed to all regions of the world. Um, I just came back from Korea. We were at the Seoul Mobility Show, and afterwards we had a. Uh, event there. We had um, a presentation of the vehicle at the Shanghai Mobility Show just last week. And the cars will go to Japan, the US, uh, the Middle East, and of course, all over Europe, including the UK. And we will use this pilot fleet for testing demonstration purposes. Um, yes, we are inviting important stakeholders as well um, to get feedback from the public. And uh, feedback is really important for us. Be you know, we, we want to learn. We can't develop a premium product without feedback from the public, um, how they like it, what they like, what they don't like. And uh, I think Chris did enjoy the ride. Well, I, I certainly did enjoy the ride. It was a fantastic experience to drive. And, and I guess maybe that's a that was sort of maybe part of the theme of the final question that I really wanted to ask because I'm conscious we've asked a lot of questions and um, you know really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the, the show. Um, you know, a lot of people have said that this is already a settled use case, that passenger vehicles will be battery electric. And there are many people who say that it's foolish to keep trying. Obviously, this is a hydrogen podcast. We don't share that view. But what would you say to people who you know, are out there going, this should just be all battery electric? And, and this is just, you know, this is very nice and very clever engineering. But, you know, th this isn't going to be a big market. As a, a final final thing, what would you say to those people? Um, To be honest, Time will tell. And for me, it's really the possibility to offer choice to people because we want to get all our customers into zero emission vehicles. And when you want to change people's behavior, I think it's better to offer choice rather than take something away and then give them something and say, well, you got to deal with this solution now. I think it's better to offer several solutions, um, use all the technologies that are available because at the end of the day, it will be faster to decarbonize our world, our energy system by offering choice. So flexibility and choice for me is, is uh, very important and should help to do the energy transition, especially in, in road transport fast because individual mobility needs are different. And why not give each and every person the right solution for their individual problem? Why tell someone you have to use this solution? And battery electric cars are great. I really, you know, I'm an electric driving fan. And I've, I was lucky enough to have one of the first i3s for over two years um, as a car at home. And it, it was, it's a great car. Battery electric cars are great. It's not a competition between technologies. It's about flexibility. It's about choice. It's about putting out offers to people such that they can use whatever suits their individual needs best. I think that's almost a perfect way to wrap up, isn't it, team? I can only see Alicia smiling because Patrick never puts his video on. So <laughs> I'm happy to hear the and not or feels like a debate that's gone on forever. And, and really, it is great to have both. Fantastic. Well, look, um, Jürgen, um, once again, on behalf of everyone from the Everything About Hydrogen podcast, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. And um Really looking forward to future discussions on hydrogen.
So Alicia, it was, you know, a lot of content in many ways with Jürgen. It's a slightly different one to what we normally talk about in, a, in the Everything About Hygiene, because we're normally talking about kind of industry, you know, industrial scale production, industrial use case application. This in, is kind of a bit different because it's really about the individual, you know, the average person, consumer. actually consumer. And, and that's kind of an unusual one for the Everything About Hygiene podcast. So what was sort of your takeaways or, you know, what were kind of your big reflections listening to Jürgen talking about the iX5 and, and you obviously shared some of your experiences of the, the pre-fuel cell version, but, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to get your kind of take on it. Well, I mean, I think it's great to see, um, you know, we've been arguing for a long time about is it electric or is it hydrogen? And I know most people came to the conclusion that it's both, you know, it's horses for courses and, that's exactly what he said. You know, they're they're making an electric uh, version, and they are, um, you know, going to make a hydrogen one because people have different needs and people are located in different places with different infrastructure capabilities and different timelines for the the infrastructure to be built out. So it does make quite a lot of sense, I think, to to basically cover both. I was a little disappointed that my racing green BMW would not be available for me to purchase until 2030, though. (laughs) I was a little surprised by that. I thought it would be a bit earlier, but that's probably because they are doing such extensive testing so that, you know, when it does roll off and and, and we are able to buy it, um, we're going to know that it's quite safe and and most of the bugs have, have been worked out. What about you? Well, I think this, that's partly true. I also think what's interesting is that, um, you know, this is probably one of those areas where, again, hydrogen is somewhat different to battery electric, which intuitively we know, but isn't always applied in that, you know, the refueling infrastructure requirements for hydrogen have a higher upfront capex. But ultimately, once installed, you can actually refuel or at least provide fuel for uh, a larger number of vehicles over longer distances and much faster than you can with a conventional EV charging site. So, you know, I can charge my battery electric vehicle with an eight kilowatt charger at home. Um, I can't charge a truck on that. But, you know, if I've got a 350 bar hydrogen refueling station, most of the configurations today would work equally well for a bus or a truck. Now, granted, they'll be slower, but they'll still work and not that much slower. So uh, I think actually his strategy about saying they see that the rollout of hydrogen refueling for heavy good vehicle applications and for um, things like buses and refuse collection is a really interesting way of not only driving the economies of scale, but also actually making sure that that infrastructure is available with that for financiers and investors to come in because they can take a longer term financing perspective. And then that creates more of a merchant sort of opportunity because, you know, I think people forget, and I remember working with people like Ian Johnston from Osprey and people like Mark Henderson from GridServe, you know, two of the most famous EV charging companies in the UK and many others. And and to some extent, it really was a builder and they will come model. You had to get investors comfortable with this leap of faith that there were going to be battery electric vehicles. People were going to buy them. And if you built a refueling or recharging station, people were going to come. And there were a lot of big jumps for people to make to get to that point and a lot of capital invested to get people to buy into that. Um, and obviously now everyone goes, well, Adoy, that clearly makes sense. But that was absolutely not the case for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, this chicken and egg dilemma was a huge issue and it remains one. So I think the BMW strategy is quite clever here. Um, and I like the fact that they came at it from what I think is something missing in the discussion, which is uh, there's a lot of back seat driving. And I mean that terrible pun in the sense that there's people sitting here in a room often, you know, with an armchair going, well, I'm an energy expert and this is all stupid, or I'm a professor and I can write on a whiteboard why this is stupid. It's irrelevant, actually. What really matters is the reality of the world we live in today. And, you know, the BBC was just saying we're going to clear the 1.5 degrees target by 2027. I don't care how smart you are. If you are shooting down a technology that a customer wants to buy today, that's a green technology today, and you're telling them they're stupid and discouraging them, you're hurting what we're trying to do, yeah. which is decarbonize. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. Absolutely. And that's why I think BMW are smart is that they're saying, look, we're not trying to make a judgment call on whether our customers have picked the right application. We're just saying 20 to 30% of our customers are not going to buy the battery electric options that we bring to market. And there is therefore a sizable underserved market that needs an alternative. And we're bringing that to market. And I think that's fantastic. And the fact is that I also like their partnering so, you know, they're not trying to rebuild their own fuel cell. They're saying, how do we take the Toyota one? Which, again, is great because it's not then just BMW that's building their own fuel cell and Toyota and Hyundai and, you know, Ford and GM. It's actually people sharing 
technology. So those economies of scale, and those learnings develop faster, which I think is, is fantastic. So I really liked all of that. I thought that was really positive. Um, I think that's right. And, and, and I think also your point about the infrastructure, you know, um, is, is what I was saying. I, I think that's why the time to buy is 2030. I mean, I think that's sort of an under promise, maybe over deliver, but essentially, you know, it's going to be in areas that have the infrastructure that can actually fuel the cars. So they are dependent upon that infrastructure being built. And so, you know, I think the fact that they're willing to just jump in and simultaneously get this car ready and, you know, assuming that the infrastructure will be built is good because, you know, you have to start somewhere. And if we waited for the infrastructure, it would be just another five or 10 years before we had the the cars to use it. So um, it's just, it's sort of inevitable that people have to start at the same time, both taking the risk that the other isn't going to catch up or it will be a bit slower than they like. But one thing I, I think is quite funny or an interesting thought is there's a service station in Belgravia um, that's kind of, you kind of go underground, um, maybe a little dip down. It's by Chelsea it, Cloisters, isn't it? This is about to get a very London conversation between South Kent and Slow Square Station. Yeah. It's where you used to go with your horses. Um, so you have your horse and carriage and you would go in and they would like fix up the feet or do whatever it needs to be done to a horse. I don't think they changed horses, but, you know, like I don't think it was like they were doing the Postal Express and then they and then they changed horses there. But um, you would go there to get things fixed. And now you go there to fill your car with diesel and I think in 10 years, you'll be going there to fill it with hydrogen. <laughs> and that's just like incredible, like a 200 year history of of um, this one entity that has been sort of fueling transportation uh, and all the changes that come with it. So I, th- I think that's pretty interesting. It, it, I mean, it is a really interesting one. I mean, I remember talking to, you know, there's, there are various taxi operators and I, I always talk to black cabs in the UK constantly about this. And, you know, they say that I, they love their battery electric vehicles. The problem is that there's no fast charging in central London. And it's, you know, and I, I take it constantly and it's not, this is not a gripe against battery electric. Everyone loves the experience in the use case. I think it's just that it's it's hard. You know, West London has already been told they're not going to get any new grid till 2035. And then there's the trade-off. Do you convert the gas heating systems to heat pumps or electrified heating, which makes a lot of sense for the residential homes there? Or do you put an EV charging outside? Because in some cases, unfortunately, it is going to be a trade-off. And, you know, there are many taxi operators saying, actually, as long as it's zero carbon, does it really matter whether it's a hydrogen or a fuel cell electric? And I think the answer is it probably doesn't. But the, the mindset has to shift. And I think it's brave of BMW in some senses to step into this. But it doesn't surprise me because you're seeing... Daimler, Toyota, Hyundai, Volvo, people at Scania and others coming out and saying, look, we don't know what the share of hydrogen versus battery electric is going to be, but we know they're both going to play in the space. They're both going to have a role. So I thought that was good. And then, you know, again, the thought process and the fact that they were saying, you know, we've been part of the Hydrogen Council for a long time and we view this as an energy system, right? How does this work from an energy system? And again, I think this is a fallacy in the debate that the car companies recognize, but the armchair commentators don't, which is that all the analysis often done in these papers around one versus the other, which is a terrible discussion, but it happens constantly, is on a single unit basis. So you say, I compare one battery electric versus one diesel, one LPG and one hydrogen, and that's my analysis. And that's not the real world. It's not a system level analysis. And what people like BMW do, which I think is really good, is they step back and they go, okay, I've got a huge amount of intermittent solar and wind entering the grid. I have a limit on the amount of land that realistically is going to be developed in Europe for these opportunities. There's going to be issues with transmission and distribution from places like Morocco and Saudi. So how am I actually going to get all the different energy requirements I need into the system and how am I going to integrate and balance them? Um, you know, and actually that means I'm ultimately going to need a combination of green hydrogen and battery to make this work. Um, and I, I had to laugh. This made me really smile. I, someone sent me the Tesla Master Plan 3. I don't know if people ever read any of these documents, but Tesla is the arch electrification lobby is always quite a good one to read. So I read their Master Plan 3, which is Tesla's corporate view on how do they get to net zero for 2050. And in that document, they basically say... of energy storage in a 2050 net zero world, according to Tesla's vision of how we should get there, is guess what? Green hydrogen. (laughs) And this is Tesla. And and, and you know what Tesla then say? They say, and that green hydrogen should be put into a gas turbine, 
run through transmission and distribution and use for EV charging. And you're going, this is just yeah. crazy. And it's yeah. it, and the only way that they can justify that is because otherwise they'd have to admit that there is a role for fuel cell electric, which they don't want to admit. And and, yeah. and so you do end up with these quite comical discussions. And I think it's really nice to see some of the adults in the room starting to come down and say to the more eccentric commentators, guys, look, we're not idiots. We've been building cars, you know, for 100 plus years. We build them all over the world. We have some of the best engineers in the world and we've concluded this makes sense. So, and we've got customers that want to buy them. And so we're going to go ahead and do this. And I think that is a huge value add that BMW brings to the table. And it's a choice. I mean, it is a great vehicle. I mean, we're, we're going to show a little bit of a video probably before we release this episode. And um, I know that BMW are doing a world tour. So if you're in, I think they're going to be in Germany for the big international car conference at the end of this year. I think they're looking at a few places in the UK and in Europe, even in the US. So go see them. I think it's about 110 vehicles or something. Jürgen was mentioning that they've got. So go and have a look. Yeah, I think and- we'll be in Saudi as well. They're going to definitely do Middle East because they're going to have to do... Yeah, they're going to have to go through sort of the all of the potential problems when you have like a lot of dust and heat. Didn't Saudi do that? Didn't Aramco sponsor a car for the Dakar Rally? Am I right? A fuel, there was a fuel cell car, wasn't yeah. there, for the Dakar Rally that apparently did quite well? Yeah, 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 but not just not the BMW X5. So that's what I'm saying is that yeah, it did well. I think there's no reason it shouldn't do well, but just as they always do the extreme testing, right? It's, it's, it's always like a thousand times worse than what is likely to happen, but they want it to be safe. So Yeah, because they never know what happens if they let a lunatic like me behind the wheels and then they see what happens, right? So Exactly. As you know, my husband keeps his foot on the imaginary brake when I am driving because <laughs> I'm always driving as fast as possible. So I might uh, take them up on the uh, Germany one, get out on the Autobahn. Oh, that'd be quite good fun. I mean, it's an interesting one, this combination, like thinking about sort of hydrogen and mobility and the passenger side. I mean, I know, for example, GeoPuro was the first company that I can think of globally that was pioneering hydrogen for EV charging. That was an application they were looking at. I know subsequently another British business sort of was looking at that idea, AFC, and they were AFC Energy, and they were using alkaline fuel cells and hydrogen for um, um, some of the esports, extreme esports for off-grid EV charging for these, which was really interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw Plug Power announced that they were also going to use green hydrogen for off-grid EV fast charging in the US. Yeah. And they were actually producing for that. So I actually think, again, you, you see the symbiosis between actually green hydrogen as a storage medium between intermittent, abundant, cheap renewables, you know, and actually helping to support electrification as well as being used directly for certain applications. And Certainly, we at Proteum quite often have had conversations around, well, why don't we hybridize EV charging and green hydrogen refueling from a single location? It makes a load of sense, you know, and actually yeah, you definitely. can you can address a whole bunch of challenges. So I, I think it's, you know, again, another compliment to what the BMW guys are doing. And, um, you know, Jürgen's also just genuinely very knowledgeable guy, which is also nice. He's not just a a product uh, sales guy. So if any of our listeners do want to go and interrogate him with a million and one technical questions, he'd be absolutely delighted. I'm sure he'd be, uh, I think in English, and I'm not supposed to say these things on podcasts, but he'd be like a pig in shit being uh, oh, wow. asked these sort of questions, right? <laughs> Seventh heaven. It's a very British expression, but, um, you know, after saying fuck, fuckity, fuck, 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 I think a pig in yeah, shit yeah, is yeah, probably yeah. the least worst of my actually, problems. Actually, that, that's very much a Midwestern expression as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, but, you know, a bit <laughs> But you know what I mean? I think you'd be very, very happy covering them off. And, uh, you know, they're so they're so knowledgeable, these guys, and they've had to justify this. And we were talking about process with big institutions before we got on the call. You know, you can imagine it's not just a startup. It's not sort of just, a, you know, an early stage company debating amongst their board. If BMW have decided that they're going to do this and bring out a statement, the layers and levels that they've gone through to justify, to explain, to articulate and think about this is just enormous and whatever due diligence someone can possibly think of they will have done it a hundred times over and that also is why it's such a nice statement right yeah and and i just really think it's great that we have a lot of options that aren't about like a giant computer that uses a lot of extra uh, resources but you know is an actual car (laughs) that's comfortable that will take you from a to b and uh you know use as little energy and have uh, zero emissions. I mean, it's pretty compelling. So I'm, I'm happy to move beyond. Just wish they would make these cars look cooler. <laughs> I mean, because the the uh, the X5 is, is a great model. It's a great uh, shape, but painted white with sparklies on the side. I mean, 
I feel like it's a little bit like the, going back to the um, the old days of the hybrids that were painted lavender and mint and you know very uncar like. Well, you can go and uh, you can go and drive the Hyperion X one, maybe Alicia, which is the you know there was the hydrogen supercar made by the NASA people that does two hundred fifty miles an hour in two seconds. So that might be more your vibe. That does sound good. <laughs> but yeah, when it, when you start getting into consumer markets, then it it's it's just nothing that's in a model, right? Because a lot of it is taste, and one of the reasons that people bought the Tesla is it was based on the body of a Lotus. Um, it had all of the gadgets. It was something that, you know, rich people could buy and aspire to and show off. And uh, now we obviously don't want that to be the product that's available to everyone in the world. We want something that's affordable and that actually works and, and it decarbonizes. But we still, I think, need to keep in mind aesthetics. And BMW has always been very good at that. But, you know, for this special one they're rolling around, it's, it's a little bit... Um, I think they could they could make it look cooler. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to say, though, I think you actually hit the nail on the head is actually what you're really referring to, which I think everyone forgets, is that apart from nerds who work in the energy space like you and me, I'm sorry, I'm bundling you in with me and a few others. Yeah, most no, people don't really think about energy. They, you know, they, they sort of loosely do. But what they really think about is what's the value I get out of it. And so for most people, you know, there's nothing particularly efficient about driving an SUV battery electric vehicle. It's a nonsense. The Model X, the Jaguar I-Pace, you know, why would you drive an SUV battery? It sort of somewhat defeats the efficiency point. But they're, they're, yes. they are very nice cars to drive and they look very nice and the user experience is very nice. And that's why people buy them, right? I mean, SUVs are the fastest selling car type in the world, but they are a terrible environmental thing. They're terrible for road safety. So customers don't tend to buy along the sort of logical steps that we as energy people would think. They buy based on what do they enjoy as an experience. So where I think BMW have got this right is, you know, if I refuel in five minutes, I can do 500 kilometers. It's a fast car. It's a quiet car and it looks modern and it's got all the benefits of an electric, but without those drawbacks. That's a hugely appealing product for a lot of people. Um, Oh, Absolutely. I think the one bit we didn't touch on, and Jürgen actually, when he's presented this externally, has talked about it, but I think we didn't touch on it. I think it's interesting because it comes up in other areas as rare earths. You know, and actually when BMW do the analysis within their own internal vehicles, which I thought was very interesting comparing their battery electric to their fuel cell electric, you know, the fact that they see a material decline in the amount of rare earths they need for the fuel cell models versus the battery electric is really interesting. And actually that prompts another question that I think people are aware of, but we don't talk about, which is that from an automotive company's perspective, supply chain and access to rare earths is a critical issue. You know, you see this Mm -hmm. with Tesla trying to really go into how do they source their nickel and their cobalt. You see this with a lot of the Chinese car manufacturers as well, going all the way down the supply chain to capture as much of those mining assets as they can, joint venturing with people like Glencore and others. You know, and actually the fact that you can use hydrogen as opposed to just using... um, as opposed to just using a battery in that hybrid. The question I would have liked to have asked Jürgen would have yeah. been, does giving BMW a battery electric option as well as a ba- as a fuel cell electric option de-risk some of their supply chain concerns around availability of rare earths for the products they want to roll out? Yeah, I mean, he did talk about some kind of hybrid option that they were looking into, but not in great detail. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting to hear more about it. I mean, again, I think Tesla is... Yes, of course, for the batteries, you need the lithium. Um, but like a lot of the, the things that they're lacking are for just this dashboard of technology we don't even need. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm driving a car, I, I do not want to be watching like, you know, 4,000 different uh, dials and, and pictures and maps and, and whatnot. Like you you do have to drive the car and look at the road. <laughs> I, I, I think that the beauty of an electric car was always, you know, fewer parts and much easier maintenance. There are all these things that made it compelling. But then if you add like a crazy computer that can do all these things and they can drive the car eventually, but they're going to kill you, you know, for the next five years, but then eventually it can drive the car. It's kind of defeats the purpose because it's mostly not what you're looking for in a car. You, you really have some really basic things that you need from the car. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think, you know, I think the other car companies that are making both hydrogen and electric, you know, they're they're doing it a little bit more subtly. Uh, and, it, and it's more based on the car and, and the transport and the comfort than it is on like a new shiny gadget. There's still going to be people who want to drive a Porsche 911 because 
they, they just want to, and it keeps going up in value. So it's not stupid, but, um, but, but I think like the general population wants to drive a car that they, that looks good, that they like it. Um, and it's comfortable, but I don't think they need it to have like a thousand different, um, you know, functions that are relevant to actually driving. Yeah. And I mean, an interesting thing I was just reflecting on, and I'm conscious um, we're getting into the car weeds a little bit, but there was a commentary from McLaren, um, from the CEO of McLaren, about their latest supercar, and they'd stayed with um, an internal combustion engine. They hadn't switched over to battery electric, and the CEO of McLaren was saying, look, um, it's not about your 0-60 time. It's about the way that it sounds and the way that it feels. And he, his view was that battery technology today is not good enough to give people that supercar experience, and that's why McLaren's not offering you know, really that same suite of fully electric solutions. And, you know, he made the point that for them, they can get under a one ton for a supercar that has all the specs, mm-hmm. but for a battery electric to have comparable specs, it's over two tons. And that additional weight difference completely changes the driver experience. Back to your point about what is it the customers want? You know, and obviously that's yeah. the supercar side, but, you know, I'm, I'm minded here when you talk about the Porsche 911 to think about the um, the Siemens Energy Harioni project in Chile where they're producing um, effectively um, a a synthetic uh, fuel for the automotive sector. And again, I think Porsche is the offtake on that one precisely because they want to continue to be able to offer a green fuel that can work inside their internal combustion engines for customers who want that drive experience, but need it to be zero carbon. And clearly I'm not advocating. And so to be very clear to our listeners, I'm not saying the whole world needs to create green e-fuels for combustion engines so everyone can still enjoy driving internal combustion engines. I'm not saying that. But it does emphasize that actually, if you're trying to get people to come with you on a journey and it is about that customer taste and customer preference, you know, questions around thermodynamic efficiency or batteries or even cost are actually not relevant to a large number of customers in a consumer facing sector. And that's what's I think missing in the discussion. It's about customer choice, customer preference that is it aesthetically pretty? Is it nice to drive? Does it have the right doodads or gadgets to use your words or, or, or not? And those are the things that drive buying patterns ultimately. And so hence BMW has been quite a interesting breath of fresh air on the podcast in thinking about hydrogen slightly differently, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And of course, BMW is, is kind of a cool brand anyway. They, they sort of are a sports car feel. So I, even with the SUV, and, and I think they could really lead the way because p- people do think that they're cool cars and it's a cool car company. It's a funny thing, but it, it really does matter, you know. And since I have seven years to convince them to make it in racing green, I'm hoping uh, I can actually get it. <laughs> well, on that note, I uh, I hope that you do get a racing green version and uh, <laughs> we'll try and convince them at ProTeam to get one in our color specs too. But um, I think why don't we leave it there for the day? It was a pleasure to have Jürgen on the show. And um, for listeners that are curious, um, you can find Jürgen Goldner on various forms of social media as you can with the BMW team. They are touring around the world with the cars. So if you get a chance to see them, several of them are in quite public events. So go have a look, go ask some questions. Um, it's kind of cool to go and see these things up close and um, let us know what you think that was everything about hydrogen hosted by the team Patrick Malloy Alicia Eastman and Chris Jackson if you have a question for the hydrogen team or any of our guests and would like to get in touch you can shoot us an email on info at h2podcast.com or alternatively you can follow us on LinkedIn or tweet us our handle is at about hydrogen Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.